When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, shall we do a five, four, three, two, one to sync? This is my favorite part for the whole thing. <laughs> five, four, three, two, one. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 30-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now as an adult. I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we as a society have been sleeping on, and I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined this week by the best man in my wedding, a very silly human being. It's Johnny Frolicstein. Johnny, how's it going? Hello. Uh, it's been a stressful couple weeks of work, and... I'm really excited for at least the next hour to sit here and be a silly human being with you. That sounds lovely. It does sound lovely. This is an interesting thing where, for TNO purposes, this is the first time we haven't been in the studio recording an episode. Mm -hmm. And this is also interesting because I'm currently in Seattle, Washington, after doing all of my India slash Maldives travels. I'm in Seattle because I had a Potter Hills live show, and now I'm kicking it with Brandon Grugel. So still very nice audio setup here. And you are at your home in Undisclosed Location in New York. Exactly. I got to say, doing this in the studio is a lot more fun than doing this all the way across the country from each other. It's a lot more fun to be able to, like, you know, hang out afterwards. Right. But it's okay because being here and doing it this way is better than not doing it at all. And you called dibs on these chapters very, very early, which I allow you to do. It is a privilege that only you and Stephen Parra get on TNO once per book, call your shot status. And then we're going to end every single book with Kelly being on for the final chapters, which I think is very fun. I don't know why you picked this. And even after reading it, I don't know why you picked this. Maybe you just enjoyed the vibes but are we going to come to a certain point or what's what's up here? So here's the thing is I read this book pretty much in one sitting when you started on Sea of Monsters and I already read it. It was it was a reread. Sure. And I remember texting you, oh, I want chapter 11. And then upon rereading it in preparation to record, I literally have no idea why I was like, yeah, that one. I, I, I also cannot remember. <laughs> so I'm right there with you, but I'm happy to be here regardless. Fantastic. I'm happy to have you here. And I say we should just get right into chapter 11, which is called Clarice Blows Up Everything. Now, what I've been doing for these Sea of Monsters episodes is trying to guess at the very jump what I think this is about. So what I wrote in my notes here is that it, it just made me feel like the blow up was either not going to be literal or the thing that blew up was not going to be someone else. So I was kind of right in my notes. I wrote, I feel like it's going to be about maybe the plan blowing up as opposed to using cannons to blow something else up. I don't think I a hundred percent nailed it, but I, I was kind of onto the, the wordplay that Rick was going for here. It was actually a bunch of uh, inflatables that she blew up on the ship to, <laughs> to make it a little more fun. Clarice, <laughs> as we learn in the past couple of weeks since we've seen her, or I guess, what is it? Just days. Uh, yeah. I guess in the day that since we've seen her, her or two or whatever it was she's gotten really into balloon animals yeah that's her deal now she blows up everything yes she's a magician this is her personality now <laughs> one time i was at a chili's my freshman year of college which is i guess just the restaurant you go to when you're a freshman in college no it's not we went to rice which is in houston texas which is one of the greatest food cities in the world you went to chili's i'm actively upset wait you know why it's one of the greatest food cities in the world is because they have so many chilies per capita no kidding. god <laughs> <laughs> Who was in charge? Why were you at a Chili's of all places? I don't know. It was just like a group of us freshmen and we were going out for dinner and somebody was like Chili's and nobody knew enough about the world to say no, I guess. So we went to Chili's. That is very disappointing. <laughs> but 
Chili's redeemed itself because in the Chili's, there was a person making balloon animals and they came to our table and made us a balloon Squidward that we kept in our dorm until it popped. Okay, that's actually really good. So that was incredible. How was your microwaved food? My microwave food at Chili's was probably exactly what you would expect out of microwave <laughs> food at Chili's. <laughs> okay, good to know. Glad. Yeah. Uh, just anyone out there, don't eat at Chili's. Don't do it. There are certainly better options, no matter where you live. You don't have to eat at Chili's. Well, here's my thing about places like Chili's or Applebee's or, you know, all of those. You can't even make the argument that it's like an affordable night out for a family because those places are like as expensive as a nice restaurant. It's bizarre. Thank you. They charge the same prices as good food. It's wild. Maybe they used to not charge and then they slowly increased their prices and hoped no one would notice like Southwest Airlines did when they were first coming on the scenes. They were very cheap and now they are honestly usually more expensive than every other airline. But you get two free check bags. Whatever. Southwest is trash now unless you live in the middle of America. But yeah, it's alarming how about $20 a meal ish things cost at Applebee's and all that kind of stuff. When you could go to, like you were saying, a real restaurant with real food that isn't microwaved and covered in butter and pay the same price. I know a guy who worked at DoorDash early on, and he said that one of their biggest moments was like in the suburbs. They stopped trying to offer food from like the hip, cool local places, and they started offering food from Cheesecake Factory, and it blew up. Isn't that wild? I'm not surprised because there's two categories of people who absolutely love Cheesecake Factory. Category one, white people in the suburbs. Category two, NBA players. And they actually have a legitimate reason because there's one in every major city and the menu is huge and consistent. So if you're traveling all the time, you can at least know I can go to this place and get this one thing that I like. And the portions are also gigantic. Have you seen that viral thing that went around a while ago about the Cheesecake Factory architecture? Okay, never mind. We, we, yeah, we, we, we are, we are so many tangents deep. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we've talked about literally zero pages except for just the title of the chapter. We're six minutes into the episode. Okay, so when we last left our heroes, they had gotten onto the CSS Birmingham, and narrator Percy comes in really hot saying, quote, we just finished a ship tour we didn't want, and what I wrote in my notes was, who needs cannons when you've got guns blazing like this, huh? I very much appreciate Percy just coming in right away. We got a tour. We didn't want a tour. We don't want to be here. I'm grumpy about this. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty on brand for Percy, especially in dealing with Clarice. He then goes on to say, we'd seen the coal bunker, the boilers and engine, which huffed and groaned like it would explode any minute. And then I wrote on my notes, eh, never mind. The ship is going to blow up. So <laughs> I got there. <laughs> just took a couple sentences. Narrator Percy continues, we'd seen the pilot house and the powder magazine and gunnery deck, Clarice's favorite, with two Dahlgren smoothbore cannons on the port and starboard sides and a broke nine-inch rifled gun fore and aft, all specially refitted to fire celestial bronze cannonballs. And then I wrote, is this book still in English? What are these boat terms? <laughs> well, when I read that, I asked myself the question, like, does Percy know all this stuff from, like, school or does he know all this stuff because it's, like, the sea? I think it's because the sea, but what is interesting here is that when earlier in this book he didn't know what was going on because of the sea he admitted to not knowing why he knew the things just being able to regurgitate out coordinates and stuff but yeah he knows all of the boat stuff but i guess and i don't know exactly the meta timeline of narrator percy but this feels like it is after the events have happened percy recounting them as if he was writing a really big long journal article that he would then show sally and say look at what i did this year mom here's my journal it's not my diary because i'm a boy and how dare you <laughs> so maybe narrator percy has accepted that i know all of the boat things and i don't have to question myself about it so maybe that's it but yeah lots of boat terms coming around that i was unfamiliar with because i'm not a boat boy i don't know anything about boats well i was gonna say there's also like a 50 percent chance that it's like oh yeah this is all like boats 101 mm -hmm. you know what a dog is if you know a thing about boats yeah that could 1000 percent be it as i learned with kp being kitchen patrol and that's just military 101 so Maybe it's just Boat 101. I'm not, a, I'm not a boat boy. Not a boat boy. Would love to have boat friend. If you get boat friend, really cool. Because then you get to party on boat. Yeah, I have like a boat quota. Bo a boat, if you will. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 give me like three boat outings a year. That sounds lovely. But that's not enough to buy a boat. So you're right. The only solution here is a boat friend. I do not want a boat. I want to know someone who has a boat that occasionally invites me on boat. That would be the best. Totes. 
but in Texas, this is Lake House Friend. Yeah, that's yeah. the translation. <laughs> well, in New York, it's Hamptons Friend. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but that is like a different level of yeah. fancy friend. Yeah. What I wrote in my notes here now is, oh, so the Confederates, meaning literal Confederates, was legitimate because we learned that there are dead Confederate soldiers all aboard the ship. And now I was very happy to predict that the boat would blow up because the Confederacy is bad. Yeah, man, we don't need to be hanging out with dead Confederates. We don't need to. Now, the dead Confederates approve of Annabeth because she's from Virginia, which I think is very funny. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, Virginia is just such like a... I don't know, geographically, just not that Southern, but it's like so the South. I, I don't know. I, I, I get it. It's funny. I even wrote in my notes, lol, quote, the South, unquote. But yeah, I mean, it was the South when we had 13 colonies. But yes, it is certainly not the South anymore, but it is the South at the same time. Sort of like how Texas is in the South, but it's not the South. Yeah. And the Midwest is certainly not in the middle huh. or the West. <laughs> Ohio being in the Midwest is ridiculous. That makes no sense to me. And Minnesota. Minnesota is straight up the north. There's nothing Midwestern geographically about it. It's very strange. I did a Midwest tour of Potterless in 2021 where I went from Pittsburgh to Columbus to Grand Rapids to Chicago. And then I'm doing a Potterless Midwest tour in 2022 where I'm going from Indianapolis to Chicago to Milwaukee to Minneapolis. How are those all the Midwest? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We don't have to get into St. Louis again, but there is fierce debate over whether Missouri is the Midwest or not. Well, we'll save that for the next episode. Now, the dead Confederates also like Percy because of his last name, a la Stonewall Jackson. But then Percy ruins it, in quotes, by telling them that he's from New York. And I am very proud of Percy for this. Well done, attaboy Percy. You don't want to be friends with these people. I sort of imagine Percy, though, here doing the like, I'm from New York. <laughs> you know, you know that thing. <laughs> I would hope he'd be better than that. Tyson is understandably terrified of them, and he makes Annabeth hold his hand the whole time, which I think is great. Anything where Tyson and Annabeth can become closer to being friends or eventually friends would make me very, very happy because I love them both individually and I want them to like each other. Yeah, this was real sweet. Mm -hmm. So they have dinner, which consists of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, chips, and Dr. Pepper. And that is the most teenage dinner I could ever imagine. Who's setting the menu, though? Because clearly this is not a menu set by dead Confederates because they would be eating like I don't know what they ate. Mutton. Yeah, I, I thought mutton too, but then I was like, no, not mutton. That's like not what we ate here, I don't think. I don't know. I had mutton in India and it was very tasty. Apologies to people that like, what, what's a mutton? Like a baby, is that a baby sheep? I think so. I'm going to Google it. Okay. If you are a year or younger, you're a lamb. If you are a year older, you are mutton. It's good. This is the inverse of me having veal instead of cow. Got it. So wait, is mutton like the teen or is mutton, because like is sheep the adult? I don't think you ever say you eat sheep. It just says here on foodnetwork.com's article called What is Mutton? The thing, <laughs> says, the thing says if they are one year old or older, they are mutton. If they are one year old or younger, they are lamb. I don't think anyone would say sheep. I feel like anything above lamb is mutton. Got it. We're, we're through one page. <laughs> Narrator Percy says, quote, I didn't want to eat anything served by ghosts, but my hunger overruled my fear. And that is a vibe. There are many times in my life where my hunger will overrule lots of things. Thankfully, I'm not a picky eater, but I could see situations where someone's hunger would overrule their pickiness. So I can totally understand where Percy's coming from here. You've got like a switch. It's like extremely binary for you. Like you're either vibing and feeling good or like the moment you become officially hungry, it's like unilateral focus. It's like nothing I've ever seen out of you. I truly go into autopilot mode. It's like in the Adam Sandler movie Click when he's on fast forward mode and he is just not really there. I just conserve all my energy until when can we find the next meal? Yeah, and it does come out pretty abruptly sometimes, but it happens. It's not that I'm at my grumpiest, but I am just at my not silliest in my normal happy-go-lucky state. No, you're not You're not unpleasant. You're just like singularly focused. Mm -hmm. I'm determined of when are we getting the food. Right. <laughs> and speaking of that, my go-to if I'm just waiting around and I need to eat something to delete hunger, I make PB&Js all the time. I've been making PB&Js every day here, Brandon and Lawrence. It's great. Oh yeah, I love a PB&J. Are you a chunky or a smooth peanut butter guy? I probably prefer smooth, but I love chunky too. Like I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, chunky or like, oh, smooth. Like I love them both. I probably prefer smooth, but it's close. Mm -hmm. I always want chunky 
cranky, but if I get smooth, I'm not going to be sad. Mm-hmm. Clarice informs the team that Tantalus expelled them for eternity, and Mr. D said that if any of them return, he will transform them into squirrels and run them over with his SUV, which feels quite extreme. Weirdly specific threat, and it doesn't seem like it has to do with Mr. D. <laughs> right? What does that have to do with being the god of wine and booze and partying and stuff? No clue. No clue at all. Percy asks if she got the ship from camp, and she says that it is from Ares, which surprises Percy, and then Clarice gives a lovely explanation. Quote, You think your daddy is the only one with sea power? The spirits on the losing side of every war owe a tribute to Ares. That's their curse for being defeated. I prayed to my father for a naval transport, and here it is. These guys will do anything I tell them, won't you, Captain? And then the captain confirms in a very creepy manner afterwards. I do like this explanation for it being a dead confederate. Like, I'm comfortable with it now because it's like, oh, they lost, suckers. Like, okay, fine, I'll hang out with you because you lost and you're my only option. Yes, it is definitely better that that is the reason as opposed to Clarice being like, oh, I just love states' rights, quote, quote. (laughs) (laughs) Clarice being like, it's about heritage. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a lie. So Annabeth tries to warn Clarice that Luke may be after the fleece too, but Clarice only gets excited about the prospect of blowing him out of the water. She does not care about the fleece. She just hates Luke. So Annabeth insists that they should work together. Clarice angrily refuses, saying that this is her chance for glory and she won't let them steal it. Clarice, I want your redemption arc. You're making it hard for me to like you. You're being so curmudgeonly. Yeah, curmudgeonly and selfish and spotlighty and generally the worst. Mm -hmm. So we get this back and forth exchange between Percy and Clarice next. Percy says, where are your cabin mates? You were allowed to take two friends with you, weren't you? Clarice says, they didn't, dot, dot, dot. I let them stay behind to protect the camp. Percy says, you mean even the people in your own cabin wouldn't help you? Shut up, Prissy, which is a very good Percy insult name. Mm -hmm. Shut up, Prissy. I don't need them or you. And then Percy warns Clarice that Tantalus hates the camp and he is probably just using her and setting her up for failure. This is like some pretty heavy stuff for the fact that they just showed up. Yes. This is healthy debate amongst teens, in my opinion. It is good. I, I do appreciate from a personality perspective and then also from a book that i'm reading perspective they get right to the annabeth chase they don't (laughs) shout out to the time when i said magnus chase last time instead of annabeth which makes way more sense but now i'm guessing like is magnus her little brother i don't know he's in a sequel series (laughs) couldn't tell you anything about him except for that he exists i like that they just get right to the chase i like that they are very direct and this could also be a northeast thing because that's how i operate growing up in the northeast we are very direct and to the point so much so that when i moved to texas people thought I was rude because I was just direct and honest, which is not what you do in the Southern hospitality South. You are nice to people's face. And then once they turn around, if you don't like them, you talk smack about them. Hated that. Southern hospitality is a lie. On the contrary, in the Midwest, you start every interaction with, hey, um, sorry, um, with those four words, no matter what the interaction, if you're saying I do, you have to say, hey, um, sorry, um, first. (laughs) Clarice responds, she starts to say that she doesn't care what the oracle said, but then stops short mid-sentence, so clearly she cares a lot about what the oracle said, and she's very worried about it. And then when Percy asks, what did the oracle say, Clarice declines to inform him, and she tells them that she's going to finish the quest, they won't be helping her, but she also won't be letting them go. And Annabeth goes, oh, so we're prisoners? And Clarice replies, guests. For now. (laughs) And then we cut to commercial break. I do want to point out that it wouldn't be a Percy Jackson book without a mysterious Oracle moment. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like this is a staple at this point. And it's a fun returning motif. And it makes a whole lot of sense for Greek stuff. This is how they operate. It's all about oracles and prophecies and this kind of stuff. For sure. So Clarice instructs the captain to take them to the birth with an E, the birth deck. Again, boat term. Don't know what this means, but. It's very different than the birth with an eye deck. (laughs) And if they misbehave, the captain should show them how they treat enemy spies. And that feels, again, very, very ominous. And on this wonderfully ominous note, Percy goes to sleep and then has dreams. So strap in, everybody. We're getting another Percy dream. Now, unfortunately, in this dream, we see Grover getting caught unraveling the wedding train by Polyphemus, who then scoops up Grover, and we learn that Grover has been wearing high heels on his hooves, which is adorable. I know that 
high heels are extraordinarily painful and awful to wear, at least for some folks. And I can't imagine, do, would, would hooves make it easier or probably more difficult to walk around, but like less painful? I don't know. We are not the right people to be talking about this. No, we would have to talk to someone who's worn stilts and then heels at the bottom of stilts. That's the closest I can imagine. But yes. Oh, I know. Just the guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would imagine, yeah, maybe not as necessarily painful on the foot, but incredibly difficult to balance on. Mm -hmm. And this next description makes me legitimately scared for Grover. Quote, the Cyclops pulled him into a warehouse-sized cavern decorated with sheep junk. There was a wool-covered Lazy Boy recliner and a wool-covered television set, crude bookshelves loaded with sheep collectibles, coffee mugs shaped like sheep faces, plaster figurines of sheep, sheep board games, and picture books and action figures. The floor was littered with piles of sheep bones and other bones that didn't look exactly like sheep, the bones of satyrs who'd come to the island looking for pan. Not the scene you want to see if you are a satyr or a fan of satyrs. But I'm also like, I don't know, I don't like have a bunch of collectibles of the food that I eat. I'm like really confused by his obsession with sheep that he also eats. Johnny, it's because you're not one of the awful neckbeard type dudes that bought a bunch of bacon memorabilia in the year 2010. Oh yeah, good These point. These people good exist. Point. These people exist. But this is polyphemous. <laughs> <laughs> in a semi-related way, it could be the same thing as having a bunch of beer memorabilia and stuff if you like drinking beer and all that. But like only beer memorabilia <laughs> in your house. Like only that. I like beer and that's my personality. <laughs> I can tell you what an IPA means aside from gross bread beer. And I'm not fun to hang out with. Oh no, everyone, <laughs> every dude with shoulder length hair and a beard turned off the podcast. Cut it in post. <laughs> it's okay. I know plenty of people who like IPAs and aren't terrible people. I'm just a tiny baby boy that does not like IPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. That's that's really the insecurity driving my comments. That's really what it is. I'm not cool enough. Polyphemus sets Grover down, rolls open a boulder that is blocking the cave exit, and drags Grover out. Narrator Percy notes that it is the most gorgeous island he has ever seen. And I thought, uh, you live in Manhattan. That's the most beautiful island. There are lush green hills, a valley with a chasm and rope bridge, which I think is going to be important because on my cover of the book, it's got three shadowy figures crossing over a rope bridge. There's a stream, rainbow-colored waterfalls, parrots in the trees, pink and purple flowers in the bushes, loads of sheep grazing in the meadows with wool glinting like copper and silver coins in the center of the island. And then the book is sure to say, quote, right next to the rope bridge. So that rope bridge is going to be important at some point is a gigantic twisted oak tree with something glittering in its lowest bough. Is that another word for branch? I'm clearly also not a tree boy. I don't know, but what I, I, I just love rope bridges in general because like, I'm, this is, I promise this is not a spoiler because it's impossible not to conclude this, but one of three things has to happen if there's <laughs> yeah. a rope bridge in a story. Either a step is going to fall and it's going to scare somebody, mm -hmm. or one half of the rope bridge is going to swing down and they're going to be hanging from the edge, mm -hmm. or nothing's going to happen and it's going to be used for comedic relief yep. <laughs> every single time. You have absolutely nailed it. The only slight difference would be in the Emperor's New Groove when they get tied up in the vines of the bridge, but yeah, that's oh, yeah. a subset of the bottom crashes out. So yes, you are correct. That is not a spoiler. But whatever is in the lowest bow or bow, B-O-U-G-H, mm, is the golden fleece. More like trope bridge, sorry. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Now, despite being in a dream, Percy can still feel the power of the golden fleece. He can feel its power making the grass greener and the flowers more luscious. Grover whimpers and Polyphemus says that the fleece is his prized possession as it has brought him free food of satyrs like moths to a flame. He then picks up a sheep, shaves off its wool, and hands it to Grover saying that it's magic wool that cannot be unraveled. It's sort of like he won like a free food for an eternity contest yes. with his golden fleece. Like he gets unlimited satyrs. <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty sweet deal. Polyphemus doesn't think Grover is being nefarious about the sewing. He just thinks that Grover is bad at weaving, so this magical thread will help. And weirdly, I thought, oh, that's really sweet of Polyphemus. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like male domestic incompetence to the rescue again. <laughs> 
Polyphemus tells Grover to finish by tomorrow, and Grover asks, looking at viewer Percy while doing so, what would happen if someone attacked the island? And Polyphemus says not to worry, as he's got a state-of-the-art defense system, his pets. And I'm excited about this, because obviously I don't know what he's referring to, but I would imagine some sort of beast duel that is going to happen. Maybe a couple rounds of fighting like it's What's the Bruce Lee movie that's got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in it where you have to fight a dude on every floor? You can have that kind of situation going on here where you have to keep fighting beasts that get harder and harder. Game of Death. Classic. Yeah, he's got a state-of-the-art security system. His pet's in a rope bridge. Tried and true, baby. Tried and true. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Unless it's a rope bridge. (laughs) So Polyphemus also notes that even if someone got through the pets, they would have to go through him. And he makes his point by pounding his fist against a rock and splitting it in half. Whoa. (laughs) Intense. Super intense. Grover cries as Polyphemus carries him back to the cave. Percy then wakes up to the sound of alarm bells ringing in the ship. And now that the dream is over, we're halfway through the episode, so we can take a little bit of a break for the Sea of Sponsors, where we talk about fun, cool updates, and then also some places where you can get sweet deals on stuff. Hooray! Hello and welcome to the Sea of Sponsors. First, I am very happy to announce that if you are at the Ultra God tier of the Patreon over at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon, we finally have the holographic stickers in, which means I can send you your packages. It had been a bit of a delay, but now finally the stickers are in, the pins are in, and the holographic stickers that are exclusive for the Ultra God tier patrons, the members of our Olympic court, those are in. So now that I am back from traveling and such, I will be sending all of those out over the course of the month of May. You might be wondering, wait, Mike, you don't sound so good anymore. What's going on? Well, I'm still here in Seattle as I record this, but I'm no longer at Brandon Grugel's place. Lauren Shippen had some family come into town, and I was... Uh, Not kicked out, but I politely left because family takes precedent to podcast friend. But I have other friends in Seattle. I'm staying with them, but they are not professional podcasters. And thus, I'm back on the old iPhone recording these updates. But I'm very excited to send out those things. And if you go to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon, you can check out what all of the rewards are. I have photos of what the stickers and the pins and the postcards and the holographic stickers look like. So if you want to get a sense of what those physical rewards would look like before committing, you can see that there. You can also listen to some fun bonus audio that we've got up there. Just posted some bonus episodes. One, me talking about all of the different beach activities that I used to do growing up. Now that I'm reading the book about the son of the sea god, I talked about all of my sea experiences experiences growing up and into adulthood. And I also did a bonus episode where I took some Percy Jackson Sporkle quizzes, some pretty tricky. I did one about every character mentioned in The Lightning Thief, and you have to get the folks who are mentioned just one time, like Thomas Jefferson. It was tricky, and you can listen to that over at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon. But speaking of the Patreon, I want to thank the folks who are supporting. I want to give a shout-out to those who most recently joined the team. So shout-out to Delaney Geist, Chloe, and Diana D, all at the God tier. I also want to give a shout-out to Lily Mayer, who I didn't say in a previous episode, because if you supported the Patreon back when I did Potterless, Patreon doesn't let me know that you are a new patron, you're considered a rejoining patron, and it's hard for me to see the notifications. So if this has happened to you, I haven't said your name, but I should have, reach out, send me a message on Patreon, and I will say your name. And also, on a similar note, I've got some name corrections to do. So name correction for Catherine Dollins and Liz Heffernan. Thank you all so much for your support. May Dionysus bless all of you with picking a good wine when you're like me and you have no idea what you're doing and you're just picking a bottle based on either the name or the logo or both. May Dionysus guide you to accidentally pick a delicious wine. Speaking of support, I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you are all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, Multitude has a whole bunch of shows that you could check out. One of those is the Queer Movie Podcast. It is a queer movie watch party hosted by Rowan Ellis and Jazzit John. They research and rake their way through the queer film canon from rom-coms to slashers, contemporary art house cinema to black and white classics. They've got it all, and it's a celebration of all things gay on the silver screen. New episodes come out every other Thursday. You can search for Queer Movie Podcast wherever you get your podcast. There's also a bunch of multitude shows that I am a part of. If you want more of me, you've got Potterless, you've got Horse, which is a comedic show about basketball, you've got Meddling Adults, which is a game show for charity where I host and people compete to solve children's mysteries from the likes of Scooby-Doo, Encyclopedia Brown, and more. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff, and you can listen to every multitude show at multitude.productions. 
And before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Seattle, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for your local WNBA team, the Seattle Storm. If the Seattle Storm would sponsor the show, that would be incredible. Anyway, when these ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Thrive Market. Now, at Camp Half-Blood, they are cooking up a whole bunch of fun stuff at the cafeteria. But we never really hear about where they supply all of the things for the cafeteria. I'm not sure where they get their stuff, but you know where they should get their stuff? Thrive Market. Thrive can be your go-to for all of your grocery and household essentials, and it has been my go-to. I've got a bunch of stuff from Thrive now, and I genuinely enjoy all of it. I've got Thrive trash bags, dishwashing detergent, snacks, rice, beans, things that wash my dishes, like scrub brushes and stuff. They have a lot of really great deals. I've been capitalizing on those deals, and I have truly been enjoying using Thrive Market. I love a lot of things about Thrive. I love that they only allow trusted top quality ingredients while restricting harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high fructose corn syrup, and more. And whether you are looking for organic kid snacks, high protein essentials, whatever it is, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. They've got all these different filters and stuff like that, different categories. I utilize those when I was looking for particular items, and it was really easy to navigate the site. I always have a simple time finding what I'm looking for. And it's not just saving time, I'm saving money as a Thrive Market member. I'm looking at my stats right now. My average savings per order are $34.98. On my last order, I saved almost $50, and I got a whole bunch of things for my pantry. I got hand-soap refills, I got chicken broth, I got rice, I got beans, I got kitchen towels. It was great. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash TNO for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash TNO, thrivemarket.com slash TNO, so you can be as well-stocked as the Camp Half-Blood cafeterias are today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Straight River Coffee. If you've been listening to The New Olympian and you're thinking, my goodness, I would love to pair this podcast with a nice warm cup of joe, but not just any nice warm cup of joe, but specifically TNO branded coffee. Well, you are in luck because TNO coffee exists. That's right. We have partnered with Straight River Coffee, which is a small independent business that is made up of folks who listen to The New Olympian and we have teamed up to make TNO coffee. So there is a specific roast from Straight River for coffee called Anna Clues Roast. I came up with the name. I think it's very good. And you can get a one pound bag of coffee from them if you go to the newsolympian.com slash merch. I'm not a coffee drinker, but multiple people have told me that the coffee tastes very good and smells incredible. And here's the description of the coffee from Straight River. Sourced from the finest fair trade beans, our collaborative blend boasts flavor notes of nutty caramel and rich chocolate, ensuring each sip transports you to a realm of excitement and wonder. It's cool. The bags were also made by an environmentally friendly bag company and the art design on the bags, which yes, is a pigeon drinking a cup of coffee. Those were made by another independent artist, Ava Hess, who does some incredible artwork as well. So it's a bunch of small businesses and independent creators teaming up to make this coffee happen. And it's really cool. And it also ships free internationally. So it doesn't matter if you live in the US or not the US. The price listed is the price. No extra shipping fees. It's super cool. And you can get a pound of this wonderful coffee delivered to you or multiple, I think. You, you can probably get more than one bag. I don't know. But go to the newslympian.com slash merch, scroll down, click the link about the coffee, and then boom, you can get some Anna Clues roast in your cup today. And then you can perfectly pair TNO coffee with your TNO podcast. And we're back. Wow, wasn't that fun? I hope you had a good time. The captain gets all up in Percy's face and tells him that they are approaching the entrance. And Percy asks, the entrance to what? I also ask this. And the captain smiles and says, the Sea of Monsters, of course, which has really big, you better start believing in ghost stories because you're in one energy. For two reasons. One, because of the way it was delivered, and two, because they're on a boat. They are on a boat. Exactly. But yes, when he said, the Sea of Monsters, of course, just felt <laughs> very much like Barbosa was going to be saying that to me. Wow. It, my headcanon is that it's Barbosa 
on this ship and not a bunch of dead confederates that's like way better yeah it's just skeleton barbosa is the captain totally. of the css birmingham that's way better there is not a more perfect role fit than jeffrey rush and captain barbosa that man is perfect in that role very very good percy packs his remaining belongings into a sack and then heads up and while he's going up he feels that familiar aries anger of wanting to pick a fight and i was confused thinking how could aries be back already i thought by being defeated he was going to be gone for a while but then i was thinking maybe clarice has gotten more of the aries powers so because he's getting closer to clarice he's feeling this but no Instead, we have Clarice talking to an image of Ares. So maybe Ares isn't fully back. I'm not really sure. We don't really learn. But narrator Percy identifies Ares as his least favorite Olympian, which I think is a fun turn of phrase. Ares is pulling the classic unable to win over father move with her, saying that he doesn't want excuses and she won't want to see him mad and that he should have let one of his sons in italics take this quest. Already didn't like Ares, but misogyny added on top of the stuff that already made him not fun to be around? Just getting worse and worse, my guy. Yeah, I also like, I don't know, he's mocking her being respectful to him with the no, no father. It's like, come on, man. Like, do you not want this to go well? You're just like totally the worst. That was certainly the most childish aspect of it. Him doing a mocking voice to her being respectful, like you said. Absurd. Absolutely absurd. Clarice promises that she will succeed and make him proud, but her voice is trembling. Ares also instructs her to not let, quote, that slimeball Jackson kid steal it from her. You know what the scene reminds me of? At the end of Ted Lasso season one, when Jamie Tart's dad yells at him and they see it, and it's like, oh, this is why he's such a punk. This is exactly the same thing. That's a really great reference. Yes, good call. So Clarice interjects, but the oracle said, but Ares cuts her off, yelling, I don't care what it said. And let me tell you, Ares, that's a mistake. Usually (laughs) you want to listen to the things that the oracle says. They usually turn out to be true. The one thing you should probably care what it says is the thing that you don't care what it says, mister. You're going to you're going to you're going to rue this day. Right. This isn't the weather app on your phone. This is something that is almost always or at least in our history of the PJO books 100% of the time correct. Now, we already thought Aries was bad. We learned with misogyny that he was worse. It gets even worse because Ares basically implies that he's going to hit Clarice if she doesn't succeed. He raises his hand in a way that makes her flinch. We've seen this with Sally and Smelly Gabe. Don't like this. Really not enjoying these new things we're seeing from Ares. Yeah, that that's sort of when the scene went from like, oh, you know, poor Clarice to like really dark for me. I don't know. I read that and like was I had goosebumps, but not the good kind. I do genuinely feel bad for Clarice. And this just makes me want her redemption arc even more and more. And because of this, it makes me think that redemption arc is even more likely because we're seeing how rude her father is to her. No comment. (laughs) Thank you. Well done. Perfect. Speaking of her redemption arc, though, I do feel like she is the angry version of Luisa from Encanto, where she's the big, strong person that deep down has feelings that she hasn't expressed to anyone before. A little different because Luisa is very nice and helpful and Clarice is kind of a grumpy bully. But that's the vibe that I was getting there. Yeah, spoiler alert, too. Uh, Clarice breaks out into the surface pressure song, <laughs> which is an absolute banger. <laughs> totally underrated song from Encanto. We all love Bruno, but like, Man, that song is good. My favorite thing about Luisa from Encanto is I read somewhere that Disney didn't correctly predict that all the little girls watching would like Luisa the most. They thought they would like the perfect Isabella, the more perfect one. So when they made the initial run of merch, they made way more Isabella stuff and not enough Luisa stuff. And I think that is very foolish on Disney's part. Of course, young girls like the big, strong one that is cool and has the good song and does stuff. Well, and Disney must have thought that because the only type of other character that they've like ever introduced is more in line with Isabella. So it's like, yeah, of course that had sold more merch because that's like the only type of character that you've ever introduced. Ah. Dinguses. Dinguses. Every last one of them. 
I also, for whatever reason, I don't know how you picture Clarice. I always imagine Clarice having braided pigtail kind of things that go down the back of her head. I don't know how else to describe it, except Kelly does it every now and then when she plays sports. It's a very sporty braid type haircut, not pigtails going straight out the side of your head, but the ones that go back down. I know that soccer players and lacrosse players do this one often, at least according to my source, Kelly Beckman Schubert. Mike. They're called French braids. No, I like that interpretation. I always pictured her with like a like 10 out of 10 type bun. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like Miss Trunchbull from Matilda bun. That was always my clarice. That is good. That is good. I also, for whatever reason, imagine her having red hair and freckles. Did they describe that? Or am I just putting that into my brain from my headcanon clarice? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. I guess just Aries being red, I assume she's got red hair too. But Uh, that's the clarice that I see. Going to be very excited when the movie Clarice looks absolutely nothing like this. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have braids, she doesn't have a bun, and she does not have red hair. Yeah, <laughs> can't wait. So when Percy arrives to where Annabeth and Tyson are, Annabeth can tell Percy isn't feeling right, which I think is very cute, and I'm very excited because they clearly love each other. And she asks Percy if it was a bad dream that made him feel this way. And Percy says yes, but narrator Percy reflects that really what he just witnessed is what made him upset, just as upset as the dream did. So again, we've got Percy now seeing what's going on with Clarice too, which I I feel the redemption are coming. I need it. I want it. I gotta have it. Clarice comes up, she grabs binoculars from a zombie officer and orders the captain to go full steam ahead. Percy can't make out what's ahead due to the overcast sky, but his nautical senses allow him to know that they are in northern Florida, meaning that they've moved much farther than any mortal ship would have allowed. And I do appreciate that. Yeah, sure, this could be a godly explanation thing, but it's also a very crafty way for Rick Riordan to make us not have to wait a whole bunch or write things into the book like, we sailed for seven days and then we arrived in Florida. Or we camped for six months looking for horcruxes. Whoa, whoa, what a concept. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, the justification of it at first, I thought, oh, okay, how very convenient. But then I thought, you know what? I'm not upset by it. We got to move things along. Let's get it going. Yep. So with the ship going faster, Tyson is worried that there is too much strain on the pistons as they are not meant for deep water, which, not being a boat boy, I didn't know that that was a thing, but I take Tyson's word for it. I believe him. You didn't know about deep water pistons versus shallow water pistons? This is this is Boats 102. No, I only know about the Detroit Pistons basketball team. That <laughs> is where my piston knowledge starts and ends. I also don't watch NASCAR. I know nothing about pistons. Well, let me tell you, those Detroit pistons are deep water pistons. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the pistons currently, as we record this in 2022, are very bad at basketball. <laughs> That's sort of what I was going for. Like, they're near the bottom, you know? Yeah, it's sort of what I was going for. That's good. Yeah, okay. You got it. Good. Great. Yay, we okay, did it. Huzzah. Okay. We did it. We got there. So they approach a large rock mass. It is an island with 100 foot tall and above cliffs. And just south of that, there is a dark and stormy storm. Annabeth asks if it's a hurricane. Clarice says that it's Charybdis. And I ask Dr. Moya, what is this? Unless you're a Charybdis stan. They are about to explain it, though. Yeah, I actually remember in high school reading the Odyssey, the lesson where we learned about Scylla and Charybdis, because... There is a song by the police that references the Scylla and Charybdis. Which song by the police? I don't remember what it's called, but I'm sure if you Google the police, the the lyric is like caught between Scylla and Charybdis, which is just another way of saying rock in a hard place. Wrapped around your finger. Okay, that's why I wanted this episode. I just remembered that's why I wanted it in the first place was so we could talk about this song. It's the second line in the song. I've never known that. You you consider me the young apprentice. Yeah, wow. Okay. Caught between. Wow. So is that literally it? The reference that was the one? We've done it? I think. I just (laughs) wanted to make sure the world knew that the police are uh, also aware of what's going on with Scylla and Charybdis. Not the police, but like the police. Yes, yes, yes. Powerful move from Sting and Friends to drop a Scylla and Charybdis line, the second line of the song. Yeah, I imagine there's like, if you go to the Genius page for the lyrics and you click on that, it's like some long explanation of the Scylla and Charybdis. (laughs) I'm very glad you've brought this to me because for the longest time, I have held that the best second line in a song comes from Bad with Two Ds by the Ying Yang Twins featuring Mike Jones. The first verse of that song opens with, I'm in the club looking for a bad bitch in the parking lot looking for a bad bitch which in the parking lot looking for a bad 
come on. <laughs> that is good. Are you going to have to bleep that out? I am. I am. I think it might be my first career bleep on the show. I think I might have had one other. So, yeah, but I'll 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 bleep it out. But to any kids listening, it's a very good song. Listen to the clean version. It's going to have lots of things deleted. <laughs> or listen to the song by Sting and Friends that references the Scylla. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Listen to Wrapped Around Your Finger. That'll give you just about the same vibes as the Ying Yang Twins featuring <laughs> Mike Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Annabeth thinks steering towards the storm is wild, but Clarice says the only way in is between Charybdis and her sister Scylla. And this is at the point where I realized reading, oh, I wonder if this is a people got turned into into stuff myth where these were people and then they became scarier things and i thought it was very interesting that one would be an island and one would be a storm it feels like the storm got the crap end of that deal we will soon learn what actually is the case here i was gonna say over two on your island in a storm yep 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 so Annabeth asks why they can't just steer around them, and Clarice says that no matter what, they will move to be in your way. Annabeth asks about the clashing rocks, and Clarice says that that is a different entrance to the Sea of Monsters, and notes that Jason used it. Clarice says that she can't blow up rocks with her cannons, but she can blow up monsters, and that's why they're going through this entrance. I kind of buy it. I mean, she's got the Celestial Bronze cannons, you know, it sort of feels like it's the lesser of two evils here. Right. And this whole exchange has a, are you crazy? You are crazy, which doesn't hold up. But back in 2006, 2007, that was an order we were trying to avoid. But that was a theme going through the conversation between Annabeth and Clarice. But to the final remark of this, you are crazy. Clarice says, watch and learn, wise girl. And I do love that Clarice is dedicated towards giving everybody their own nicknames it's a good bully tactic. You have to appreciate it. She definitely adopts, like, you know, a middle-aged Northeasterner accent, too. And she says, like, eh, watch and learn, wise girl. <laughs> she has to. Now, Percy, for the help of the uninformed reader like myself, asks Clarice if the story of Charybdis is that she sucks up the sea. Clarice confirms and adds that she also spits it back out. Percy asks about Scylla, and Clarice says that she lives in a cave up on the cliffs, and if anyone gets too close, her snake-like heads come down and pluck sailors off of their ship, which was very different than my guess, and I don't know how much of Scylla stuff you know, but is this is this Medusa head style? I was confused about the logistics of Scylla. I always pictured it as like a miniature Hydra with very long necks and green. Okay, what I have Googled is that it looks like a woman whose legs are sea monstery and it's just kind of various hydra heads coming out of where her bottom half would be. So it's like a centaur, but if she was top half woman, bottom half hydra. Interesting. And then where do the heads come from. Oh, okay. Yeah, got it. I, I googled the picture too. I'm with you. Some renditions have her looking like Ursula, but the tentacles aren't just tentacles. They are Hydra heads, which is worse than Ursula, Ursula. Ah, uh, you beat me to it. <laughs> Ursula, she's a she's a scary one. I don't I don't I don't much like Ursula. Terrifying. So Percy has a plan. Go to Scylla and have everyone go below deck. Then they can't pick us off one by one. But Clarice says that that won't work, because if Scylla doesn't get her easy meat, she might pick up the entire ship. Clarice also notes that the cannons can't point straight up, so she becomes a very tough target. Instead, Clarice's plan is to go straight towards Charybdis, fire the guns, and send her back to Tartarus. Which, okay, that would make sense. That would be one interpretation of the chapter title, but I was convinced that the ship was going to blow up, and we'll see how that turns out. I'm just, like, really stuck on Charybdis's name. I don't think there's another word in the English language that has the letters YBD in order. Hybrid? No, 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 like, consecutively in order. Oh, I can't think of one now. Yeah, Charybdis is just a wild name. It's a fun jumbling of letters, for sure. So they get closer to Charybdis, and Percy can hear what he describes as the narrator as, quote, a horrible wet roar like the galaxy's biggest toilet being flushed. That's an image. What a wordsmith. The ship lunges forward with each one of Charybdis's inhales, and the water rises and crashes as waves with each exhale. Percy times the whirlpool 
It's three minutes to suck up and destroy everything within a half-mile radius. To avoid it, they'd have to get very close to Scylla's cliffs, though, so it's truly, like you had said earlier, being stuck between a rock and a hard place, it's really a pick-your-poison situation. Yeah, as though it could be referenced in future songs about those types of situations. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So the crew is completely unfazed by this, and narrator Percy wonders if it's because they're used to losing or because they're already dead. And Annabeth then asks Percy if he still has the thermos, and he says yes, but that adding more wind to the whirlpool might backfire. She asks if he can control the water since, you know, he's the son of the sea god and he's done it before. And Percy tries, but he can't because Charybdis is just too powerful. That's got to be a pretty overwhelming feeling. Like you're sort of, Percy's kind of a one trick pony. And uh, that one trick has been soundly disabled in this case. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Annabeth says that they need a backup plan. Tyson confirms because the engine is about to give. He says there's too much pressure on the pistons, which, yeah, that can happen if you put together multiple bad NBA seasons back to back. The fans are going to become unruly. <laughs> but now the boat is in the whirlpool. Very fun stuff. Clarice orders the crew to ready the cannons, but a crew member with his beard on fire, which is a fun look, warns that the boiler room is overheating and the ship is going to blow. When Clarice tells him to go down and fix it, he says that the crew can't because they are vaporizing in the heat. It is so hot that they are vaporizing when they enter. That is wild. But like what happens then to these dead Confederates? Do they like unvaporize at some point or is this just like it for them? I think they respawn in Tartarus maybe. I feel like it's Hades of the video game rules. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense because that's a game that I have have played. I actually probably will play it, which means they owe you another like $3 or something. Let's go, Supergiant. Come on, hand me those commission checks, baby, or just come on the pod. Clarice says that she only needs a few minutes and the captain says they are going too fast and they should prepare for death, which woof, yikes, you don't want to hear those things. This scene is just full Pirates of the Caribbean energy at this point. I just couldn't think of anything else but those wonderful pirates just screaming at each other. It brought me back. For sure. And you also don't want to hear someone who has died say prepare for death because they are the resident expert on death. (laughs) You really don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The one person who's died is telling you like, this is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tyson bellows, no, I can fix it. And Clarice is surprised. But after Annabeth informs her that because he's a Cyclops, he's immune to fire and is good with mechanics, Clarice orders him to go. I love that Annabeth actually went to bat for Tyson. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. This is a really pivotal moment for them because like when they're under stress and sort of put in a situation that requires people to just like play to their strengths, she like is seating to him, and I think that's really powerful. It's fantastic. Clarice orders him to go after learning that he's going to be okay. Percy doesn't want Tyson to go because it's too dangerous, but Tyson says, quote, only way, brother. I will fix it. Be right back. Tyson is so perfect. Gosh, gotta love Tyson. How can you not? Percy wants to run after him, but the ship lunges forward, and he can then see Charybdis. And here's narrator Percy's description, quote, She appeared only a few hundred yards away through a swirl of mist and smoke and water. The first thing I noticed was the reef, a black crag of coral with a fig tree clinging to the top, an oddly peaceful thing in the middle of a maelstrom. All around it, water curved into a funnel like light around a black hole. Then I saw the horrible thing anchored to the reef just below the waterline, an enormous mouth with slimy lips and mossy teeth the size of rowboats. And worse, the teeth had braces, bands of corroded scummy metal with pieces of fish and driftwood and floating garbage stuck between them. So great. Are you kidding me? To have braces? Fantastic. How can you not love that? What an amazing description. What is he saying here? Is he saying that, like, over time, the trash and metal that's been thrown into the ocean has, like, caught on to the teeth and that's the braces? Or is this, like, natural? I feel like it is garbage has become braces. Wow. Which is very interesting. Amazing. Narrator Percy continues saying, Charybdis was an orthodontist's nightmare. She was nothing but a huge black maw with bad teeth alignment and a serious overbite. And she'd done nothing for centuries but eat without brushing after meals. As I watched, the entire sea around her was sucked into the void. Sharks, school of fish, and a giant squid. And I realized that in a few seconds, the CSS Birmingham would be next. I feel like the orthodontist thing is like something that we would have talked about had Percy not addressed it. We would have been like, oh, Charybdis is an orthodontist nightmare. That's like, like I want to hang out with Percy is really what I'm saying. 
For sure. And speaking of orthodontist's nightmare, shout out to me. I had a really bad overbite and I had to wear headgear for a year. No kidding. Yeah, I had a pretty bad overbite and I was supposed to wear headgear for, they said, two years. I was supposed to wear it at least eight hours a day or something. They said you could just wear it to sleep, but they said if you wear it more, you can get it off sooner. So basically anytime I was inside my house to where no one could see me in public, I would wear headgear and I got to take it off sooner. It was miserable. Not a fun experience. Headgear stunk. That sounds like a miserable experience. I'm so sorry. Do you have any... Do you have any pictures of yourself in headgear? I just, I'm just, I'm just curious. No, that was my one thing. I was never one of those kids that was embarrassed about kissing my mom, saying goodbye to her before hanging out with the friends or my sister picking me up from whatever. But this was the one thing I drew the line of zero photographic evidence of me in headgear. It looked like, you know, those old football helmets that have just the one singular bar around it. It was like that, but really thin. And then it had a strap in the back and it would lock into these things that went around my back molars. And I would have to sleep in that. So I couldn't ever rest my cheek on a pillow and I'm not a back sleeper. So it was a miserable sleeping experience for a year. Yeah, you poor guy. Wow, that's that's really terrible. I'm sorry. It's okay. Now I have nice teeth. I worked very hard. Yeah, you earned it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to the Brace Place, my orthodontists in central New Jersey. You guys did a good job with my teeth. Did you pick it for the name? Because that's an amazing orthodontist name. (laughs) Right? What a great name. Brace Place? Yeah, dude. So the captain informs Clarice that the guns are in range, and Clarice gives the fire order. The three shots that they fire hit, but they really don't do much damage. This reminds me of Kingdom Hearts when you see the enemy have the really big health bar and you just try something to see how hard the fight is going to be. And you fire off three fire spells and they do absolutely nothing. And you go, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, and then you have to just roll and dodge for 90 minutes and get one hit per minute until it finally works. Yep, I know the feeling. Yep, yep, yep. So Clarice calls for another round, but nothing happens. Then the engine hum becomes steadier and stronger, and the ship actually begins to hold its place rather than getting sucked deeper and deeper into the vortex. They had tried to reverse once they got in, and it just wasn't working. It slowed them down, best case. So we've got the engine actually doing what it's supposed to do. Clarice is upset. She wants to stay close to be within firing range, but Prissy says that they will die if they stay close. They have to move away. They are in stasis, and the mouth closes. Then, Charybdis spits out a wall of water and ejects everything that was non-edible. Percy uses all of his strength to keep the ship from tipping, but they are still heading right at some cliffs. Another soldier who is engulfed in flames comes up and warns that the engine is about to blow, so Percy asks where is Tyson, and the sailor says that he's still in the engine room, somehow holding it all together. The captain says that they need to abandon ship, Clarice yells no, and the captain then gets yoinked mid-sentence by a head. And this was very well done writing from Rick here because there was so much stuff going on with Charybdis and the engine that I forgot Scylla was even a thing. So when the captain got yoinked by Scylla, I was genuinely very surprised. Totally. Also, yoinked, great description for what it is. Also, I'm just totally imagining him being mid-sentence and then the second he gets yoinked, you sort of hear the like, like trailing off like it has to be like that in the movie or in the in the tv series it has to it's either that or it's the wilhelm scream where once he gets yoinked it's do you know what the wilhelm scream is i don't know it by name but i wouldn't be surprised if i've heard it it's that scream that they put into a bunch of movies as a bit where the guy goes and it's in all the indiana jones movies and all that stuff it's one of those once you hear it you'll hear it in a bunch of movies things no i yeah we, we should just play it, and I'm sure that I've heard it. Let me, I just, I, I, I gotta do this. Me, in the future, who's editing this episode from start to finish because I didn't get Sherry the audio in time because I've been traveling and stuff, I will do it. Don't worry, I've got this one. Perfect, thank you. <laughs> now, narrator Percy says, the heads move so fast that it looks more like a laser beam, a flash of teeth and scales. Gross. Yeah, Ugh. I don't like Scylla. Percy uncaps Riptide and swipes, but he's too slow. He yells for everyone to get below deck, but Clarice says they can't because below deck is in flames. Annabeth says they should go to the lifeboats, but Clarice says that that won't work because they won't clear the cliffs and Scylla will eat them. And at this point, I was very frustrated. Well, Clarice, do you have any ideas? Because you clearly have a sense of what is not possible. So maybe if you want to contribute a helpful suggestion rather than just shooting down everybody else who's trying to figure something 
hang out. That would be really nice. Yeah, I proposed six places to eat for dinner with Clarice, and she said no to every <laughs> single one. And she has not proposed a single idea. Mm, I don't really want Vietnamese food. Mm, I'm not feeling Indian either. Mm, pizza? Ooh, I just had it. Well, Clarice, fine. Stay home. We're not eating a Chili's, Clarice. <laughs> I don't care that they have balloon animals. <laughs> Annabeth ignores Clarice, though, and asks Percy to give her the thermos. Percy doesn't want to leave Tyson. Annabeth says that they have to get ready. Clarice and the sailors start to climb into one of the lifeboats, and Percy tells Annabeth to get into the other one, saying that he's going to go after Tyson. Annabeth warns that the heat will kill him, but Percy does not listen. He runs for the door to the boiler room, and oop, he gets snatched by Scylla by the knapsack. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> So Percy, when he's up in the air, instinctively just swipes behind him with Riptide, which is able to get her in the eye. I'm assuming the eye of the head and not the eye of the woman top body, but also I'm not exactly sure what the anatomy is looking like for the version of Scylla that Rick has written. But sword in eye, good, drops Percy. But he's 100 feet up in the air when he's dropped, and as he's falling, the CSS Birmingham explodes, and immediately Percy yells, Tyson, which I think is very cute, but also, yes, I too am worried about Tyson. Yeah, did he yell that like while he's falling, like plunging to mm-hmm. his imminent doom here? He yells, that's so sweet. Tyson! <laughs> <laughs> Percy's able to see that the lifeboats did get away from the ship, but not very far. There are flaming shards of the ship showering down from the sky. And Percy does not have high hopes for the lifeboat folks. Either they got wrecked by the explosion or they'll get snatched by Scylla because they're not far enough away. But then Percy hears the exploding sound of the thermos being opened too much. Wind blasts in every direction. The lifeboats get scattered and Percy's free fall turns into him being propelled across the sea. I thought that this would happen way later. Maybe the big final fight Percy would intentionally uncap the thermos a whole bunch. But... Based on Hermes saying, don't uncap it too much, I figured this would happen. And look, lo and behold, it has. Hermes is thermos. Sorry, real quick. Um, Hermes is thermos is the Hermes. Anyway, continue. Oh, the Hermes makes me think of the SpongeBob movie from the mid-aughts when they get a bag of winds from uh, Neptune. And when they open it, it just flies out of their hands and that's it. And it's amazing. And I thought that was going to happen here. And I'm so sad it didn't. <laughs> Now, Percy gets hit in the head while he's spinning around because of the Hermes blast, and he hits the water so hard, he would have died had he not been the son of Poseidon. But then we get this final ending quote from narrator Percy to end the chapter. The last thing I remembered was sinking in a burning sea, knowing that Tyson was gone forever and wishing I were able to drown. And that is really dark and feels like an emo song lyric. For sure. Yeah, also just, goodness, Percy, make me drown in my own tears. That's so sad. I know. Clearly he has these strong feelings for Tyson. Gotta love that. But it's very sad that Percy feels like Tyson's a goner. And then on top of all of that, he's implying that he'll be so sad that he wish he could die, but he can't because he's Tom Hanks in the Green Mile. And <laughs> he, <laughs> he just has to be forever ridden with this sadness Really, really tough note to end on, but oh, that's the end of the episode. Yay! <laughs> you uh, you really need somebody to go write the like My Chemical Romance style song about wishing he were able to drown when he thought that Tyson died. That that would be like a plus. If there is a Percy Jackson version of Wizard Rock like there is in the Harry Potter community, I feel like that is just prime for some sort of punk rock Percy Jackson band. Oh, totally. But that's the end of this episode. Johnny, thank you so much for joining. Is there anything you would like to plug for the folks at home? Heck no. Keep listening to my friend Mike's podcast. Not even your socials? Nothing at all? Nah, that's not what I'm here for. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, when we see what other song lyrics Percy's going to write, maybe some happy ones if things end up being okay in Chapter 12, I'll proceed you later. Hey! 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Just Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor, Sherry Glow. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Google, And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you are all caught up in the show and you want some more, you can get some more by going to thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. You will get access to loads of bonus episodes, bonus audio, all the old Potterless stuff, whole bunch of fun things at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. And speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons. Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Dreesen, Can't I Seaweed Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Getting Stoned with Smelly Gabe, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Shannon Yvonne Aguilar, Wise Girl, Alpacas Are Hope, Milo TZ, Roxas1912, Rafaela, Ashton Gabrielson, Cara Marin, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Justin Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Ruby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Marina Foose, and Aaron Wood. If you want to follow the show on social media, we are at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we're also at reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, spreading it by word of mouth is awesome, and I really appreciate it. You can post about it on social media. You can leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. You can reach out to someone that you know that you think would like the show, whether it's an email, a text message, whatever, and just say, hey, there's this really cool podcast hosted by this really cool, humble guy, and I think you would enjoy it. If you do that, I would really appreciate it, but I'm just so thankful that you listened to this episode of The Newest Olympian, and I hope you tune into our next episode where we cover most of chapter 12 with Sarah Barra, but until then, I will proceed you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. I'm currently walking through the house of my friend's place here in Seattle that I'm staying with, and I'm slowly approaching his cat. His cat's name is Poppy Seed, a very adorable black cat, and I'm going to see if I can maybe get some sort of ASMR noise of Poppy Seed meowing or maybe purring if I pet Poppy Seed. So, oh, hello, Poppy. Oh, hello, Poppy Seed. How are you? How was your day? Are you enjoying sitting on this pillow by the sun? Are you enjoying the view of Seattle? Is it joyful to be a cat? Ooh, getting up on the move, shaking it off. Oh, good little shake. Hopefully that was uh, some nice little ASMR stuff for your earbuds. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Arcus, you'll hear me next time.